move this over a bit. I'm not used to having a, a screen here. So uh, last time I preached, my wife said, you know, they had everything in front of you, right? You know, because I keep... So this is really, uh, <laughs> really neat. We didn't have this uh, kind of technology the last place I uh, preached. So uh, maybe I'll see that everything's right here uh, and going along. Uh, I really do count it an honor and privilege and joy to be able to speak to you. And uh, even more so uh, that now that I know I'm the irregular preacher. <laughs> Have a little fun at Paul's expense there. I don't know what we're supposed to call guest speakers, you know. We let everybody know you're not the regular one. So uh, anyway, I always have fun with that. That's, that's pretty common. Uh, also, I just wanted to say uh, when I was asked to speak this Sunday, uh, I assumed that Patrick and Jordan wouldn't be here. So I prepared my remarks with that in mind. And then Patrick's at the door greeting and Jordan's teaching class, and I'm thinking, what's up with that? So I tease Patrick, I'm going to have to uh, overlook some snarky remarks here. I've got a lot of sermon maybe cut down considerably. Uh, but what I found out was that uh, the reason they asked me to speak this morning is in part so that they could devote more time this past week to planning for this church. Now, you may not know what a huge deal that is, but many churches go along year after year after year with not much forethought in what's going to happen. And the leadership in this congregation is trying to be very intentional about where you're going. And I just, I can't commend them enough for that because it is not easy and it really takes a lot of forethought and thinking. So uh, for the elders to encourage that, elders to be a part of that, for your leadership team and staff and all those uh, to wrestle, you know, with where they hope we're all heading. And, and so I commend them. And uh, then to allow somebody else to get up in the pulpit when they're, <laughs> they're here is, is not easy sometimes. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Voices. The foundational assumption is that we are a people who long to hear and follow the Savior's, the Shepherd's voice. Even if you're here as a guest, maybe first time, and you're starting to explore Christianity, there is this internal voice, I think, that tells you that there's something more. And so I'm thankful you're here to consider that more this morning. The difficult challenge is that there are also so many other voices in our world competing with Jesus' voice. The basic question arises, how do we hear then Jesus' voice above all the other voices and respond in faith? The competing voice we're considering this morning is what I'm calling the voice of rationalization. And that is, I found in my own life and seen in others, that it's easy to excuse ourselves from Jesus' radical call to follow him. Words like, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Or, unless you love me more than father, mother, brother, and sister, you cannot be my disciple. Wow, what do you, what do, you do with that? 
So those kind of, those kind of calls of Jesus, the call to take up our cross, and how do we implement those in the 21st century? I would suggest, at least where I'm coming from, that over my years, this has not been an easy topic to really wrestle with. How do we apply Jesus' words from so long ago to today? We can all think of people who have made bad decisions while claiming to follow Jesus. Uh, when I, was, I began my more serious journey when I was in college, and so uh, I was away at college beginning to follow Jesus more closely, found out that there was a neighbor girl, I grew up in ranch country in the Dakotas, uh, who uh, both of us had come from pretty uh, wild situations, and uh, I heard that she had become a disciple of Jesus. So I called her up on the phone, and we had this great conversation, and then she said that she was considering uh, doing a trip around the country by herself, young woman by herself, hitchhiking. And uh, I was trying to be gracious about all that, but, and I don't know what my <laughs> words were exactly. <laughs> I was trying to say, that's a, trying not to say, that's a really dumb idea. Uh, but maybe something fact that God doesn't always guarantee our safety just because we think we're making a trust decision. He doesn't make us promises like that. Or perhaps we've known charismatic leaders who are convinced that the church needs a new building and frames it in terms of a faith-trust issue, convinces the church to overextend itself, and then the church implodes financially, and on and on. Uh, if we had a class, we could just probably talk about examples like that over and over, right? On the other hand, we know cases when someone is earnestly trying to serve God and is discouraged, perhaps even by family, friends, and other Christians, because their commitment seems too unconventional or too risky or perhaps too radical. When my wife and I were years ago at seminar and missions at Abilene Christian University, kind of like a six-week impact course, we learned that there had been a young man who was considering becoming a missionary, uh, but his father, who was also a church elder, thought that was a bad idea, and so promised his son a really cool car. I don't remember what it was. It seemed like it was something like a Corvette Stingray. I don't know. And now there would be other things probably, but it was something awesome if he would give up this idea. We've also known churches that are paralyzed because they are risk-adverse and therefore cannot make any bold decisions. The point is, it is not always easy to decide what the correct course should be in applying Jesus' words. There have been times when for when uh, I've been in ministry and had to make some decision about going from one place to another, where I really haven't been 100% sure what God wanted. I actually sometimes actually thought maybe he wanted me to stay, but I really wanted to go. <laughs> and did. <laughs> and so even now I'm not 100% sure, even though it seems like the Lord really blessed uh, my decision about that. So many times we serve in the fog, walking by faith, Trusting that if we are seeking Jesus' kingdom first, even if our decisions and motives are not a totally 100% sure, he looks with approval upon our hearts. Isn't that good news, I think? So there's no magic formula to always determining the will of God. 
but there are principles and a spirit that can greatly help. First of all, just to sort of, uh, before I get to the principles, I wanted to just highlight one thing. First of all, there are some things that are absolutely clear and require little discernment. The choices are obvious, Paul will say. It is just the implementation that may be difficult. These are regard to core Christian doctrines and ethics and morals. And so just to briefly highlight that from Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 through 25, Paul writes, the acts of the sinful nature or flesh are obvious. That's even in a pagan culture. Obvious. Then he has this long list, sexual immorality, so forth and so on. Uh, He has about ten or more things like that. And then he says, and the like. It's not a complete list. Stuff like this. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he sets up a contrast. On the other hand, here's some other things that are clear. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if we want to know if we're living by the flesh or spirit, we can go to Paul's list and compare it. There are a couple of ones on here I, I, I wrestle with and, and try and be careful with. They're kind of my Achilles heel. I have to worry about getting really angry, over angry at stuff. And that's kind of, I think, in my genes, the Goodwin genes, you know, that's who I'm blaming it on. Uh, and then uh, beware and kind of be careful that I'm not doing anything from selfish ambition, that I'm not letting my ego get involved. So uh, just a checkup then. So put that aside, put that on the back burner for now. But our consideration this morning is not those. It's more on those daily decisions of life, serving people, commitment to Jesus, vocations, all those sort of things, priorities in life. Uh, So this morning we're going to spend our time in in Philippians. We'll have some of the text up there. Occasionally I abbreviated them, so you'll see that, but you can have your Bibles to flesh it out. First of all, to make faith, trust-based decisions, we must... Know what is at stake and where our home is. Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait a a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who he will by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. He's in control of the whole world. He will then also be changing us, transforming our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. We must know that we are not long for this world, right? And as we age with that becomes more apparent. Our real home is not here. We're looking forward to a better world and we are eager, eager for Jesus to come and get us, right? Amen. All right. And in the meantime, he's changing us into his likeness as we follow him. I've got a text about uh, 10 days ago from a young man. His parents, uh, his dad was an elder in the church I was at in Nebraska. And uh, his mom was an uh, elder's wife. And, and they, were just, they were just enormous encouragers <laughs> there. It's sort of cool to have people that think you're better than you are. Did you know that? 
you hang on to those people. I mean, do not lose those people. <laughs> so Avon, uh, she was just this, that's the uh, uh, elder's wife. She was so encouraging, so was he, you know. And, and afterwards, you know, they'd meet me out in the foyer, and, and every sermon was just fantastic. And I knew that wasn't true, you know. But I like to hear it anyway. But uh, she found out in February she has cancer, tried chemo, it's not uh, helping. And so she just has days to live. And uh, it just reminds me that this world isn't our home. We'll, we'll miss her when she's gone. Studies of youth ministry for several decades uh, during the 60s and forwards were wondering why haven't so many things we've been trying with youth working. You know, we've built gymnasiums, we've done all kinds of things focused on them and so forth, which actually I think is a wise idea. But one of the things that happened uh, across the denominational spectrum, what the study concluded was that pe young people were leaving because there was no compelling reason to stay. And there's a balance on this, but the main reason we serve Jesus Christ is not because of what we get out of it. Even though we get this life and eternal life and joy and but foundationally underneath that, the main reason we serve Jesus Christ is because the resurrection is true. Amen. It is true. Amen. And if there is no resurrection, then let's just do whatever we want to. And there's no amount of competing in this world. The church just can't compete with the world in terms of stuff. But we have something more important, more foundation, life itself. So we must know what is at stake and where our home is. Secondly, we must trust, we must, to have, make trust-based decisions. Our top priority in life is that we must know Jesus better, Christ better. Paul's language in chapter 3, after describing his rich Jewish heritage, writes, Whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Do you know what he gave up? I mean, he, he was at the top of his game when he became a Christian. Top of the game. And he says, what's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All that stuff just doesn't compare. Wasn't hard to give up. For whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. I want to know, have a sense, what was it like when He came out of that tomb? I want to have some sense of experiencing that. And then not only that, I want to share in His suffering for people. And I want to become like Him in His death. Boy, that's another level, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, I don't think I'm, you know, I, I have a hard time honestly saying that one. And some somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He goes on to qualify it, not that I've already obtained it, but I press on towards this upward goal. 
To make strong life decisions for Jesus, there must be this laser focus on knowing him above everything. Several years ago, one of the, I, I don't consider myself a very clever person, so I like to highlight the times I have been. So several years ago, uh, this is again when we were in Nebraska, and uh, my son was playing soccer, and so some of the games, I noticed some of the you know, kids, parents, whatever, soccer moms are wearing shirts that said, uh, soccer is life, the rest is details. And I thought, well, that's, I don't think that's true, but it's pretty clever. And so, uh, so I stole that, and I guess it wasn't a, my clever idea, uh, and preached a sermon that said something like, Jesus is life, the rest is details. And uh, the camp that year, the youth camp, took that up as their theme, which I, I felt pretty great about too. Now, that's a little simplistic, but it's not too bad, right? Jesus is life, and the rest is details. And then thirdly, to make trust-based decisions, we must practice putting other interests, others' interests before our own. Paul writes, he begins by telling how incredibly blessed they are, and then, you know, ethics flow. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, it's interesting the way he words this. I think it's a bit fascinating. He's sort of like saying, if you have any little bit at all, he's not saying like, boy, you got a lot. He's saying, no, if you got, if you even got the tiniest amount, if any, if any, if you get any encouragement with Christ, if you got any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, then make and any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having same love, one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, not only, yes, you can care about your own, but you've got to be thinking about other folks too. Also with the interests of others. Your attitude should be that as the same of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on with what we think may be a Christian hymn about Jesus becoming a servant unto death. I call this an acquired taste. Putting others before ourselves does not come naturally. <laughs> In fact, we are wired for self-preservation. I don't think this means we have no interest, as Paul says, about our welfare, but it's modified, it's shaped by a growing concern for the welfare of others, a concern that leads us to sacrifice for others. To make trust-based decisions, number four, we must grow, our love must grow, and then be shaped by wisdom and discernment. Chapter one, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul wants their love, you know, this is a theme in Paul and Jesus over and over again. I want your love to grow. I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And then Paul says, in this love, that as you grow in that love, that there is also, it, it, it is melded together with wisdom and discernment. So that you're going to be able in life to make good decisions about not just what is okay, but what would be very best for you and others in the kingdom of God. What is best? That's a different level. 
and so that also your life may be shaped into holiness and you'd be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. You're making those kind of great decisions filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, of course, to the glory and praise of God. So wisdom complements and works hand in hand with love and faith. And so much of that wisdom comes as we live in community together. Henry now, and a Catholic priest who was feeling a bit about, uncertain about his direction in life, asked Teresa of Calcutta, most of you are familiar with her, for spiritual guidance. He writes about that occasion. Once I had the opportunity of meeting Teresa, I was struggling with many things at the time and decided to use the occasion to ask her advice. As soon as we sat down, I'd start explaining all my problems and all of my difficulties, trying to convince her of how complicated it all was. When after 10 minutes of elaborate explanation, I finally became silent. She looked at me quietly and said, Well, when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and you don't ever do anything you know to be wrong you'll be fine on the one hand that answer seems to avoid the issue if I would have been now and I've been going well I came you mean I came all the way to India I came all the way to Calcutta you know it's like you go up to on the wise you know to the wise person up on the mountain and that's what you get you got all these complicated issues and adore the Lord and don't do anything wrong you'll be fine well you know I could have discovered that at home so it seems a little too simplistic Paul did have to teach ethics to Kagan people after all on the other hand I think it's pretty good it's not too bad Adore Jesus, love people, you'll be fine. We may wish there were a manual for every possible life decision or that God would clearly call us what to do in every situation. And yet aren't you glad he didn't? We'd have to have a manual bigger than this building to cover the centuries. There would be no choices in life for us to make. You would just call God up and say, uh, you know, which college do you want us to go to? You know, who do you want me to marry? What vocation do you want me to be in? And on and on. And so even then you wouldn't have a choice. You'd just, just, uh, you know, text God and get an answer back. Instead, Jesus calls us to first love God with everything we have then to love our neighbors as ourselves, and then to make trust decisions on that basis. Believing that love for Christ will accomplish far more than any list to perform by duty. That's why he just, I think he just leaves it open, you know, so much. I mean, there are specifics, yes. Not, I'm not saying that's not true. But, but when a person is laser-focused on adoring and loving Jesus because of his love for us and trying to love other people, you know, things sort of begin to shape and 
make sense even if you kind of do them in the fog. Does that make sense? Make sense? Jesus, because of his love, love of God, came. Paul was compelled by the love of God for everything he did. Uh, some, some of you know that uh, I, I was a veterinarian and, and uh, decided I was going to be a veterinarian from the time I was about 10 years old when he, one came out and maybe saved our cow. I don't know. I thought, that's pretty cool. And so I was determined. And so I got through vet school, practiced a couple of years. But uh, in the meantime, in college, this strange thing had happened to me. I became a Christian there. <laughs> and uh, so I just had this desire that I wanted to know the Bible well better. I just wanted to tell people about Jesus and stuff. And so uh, uh, I, I gave it up and became uh, a preacher. And uh, that didn't all turn out as magnificent as I thought it would, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> uh, but, but sometimes people, not so, it doesn't seem so much rate lately. Maybe they know I'm at the end, so it doesn't matter. Uh, have said, wow, that must have been a hard decision. I mean, in small communities, rural communities where I grew up, a veterinarian, doctor, those kind of people, they just have great esteem, great esteem. I mean, if you, if you take care of somebody's dog, they just love you forever. <laughs> even sometimes, you know, you, you help a $2,000 cow get better, they love you, even though that's more practical. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I would, you shouldn't uh, admire me too much for that because it wasn't that hard a decision. You know, when you want to do something, giving up something isn't that hard, is it? It just kind of, kind of makes sense. And so, uh, so uh, you know, when we have a passion for something, then, then a lot of things kind of come together. One of my uh, favorite stories I love to share is about Polycarp, who was a church father uh, right after the apostolic age. And so he was arrested uh, for being a follower of Jesus, being a leader. And so they brought him before the governing authorities, and they told him, we won't kill you if you will confess Caesar is Lord and deny Jesus. And he said, A.D., Eighty and six years have I served him. And he has never done me anything but good. How then could I deny, deny my Savior and King? And they put him to death. So that's how, that's how I think at the root, it's not that there aren't any specifics, but when you just love the Lord because of what he's done for you, and as you are trying to love people and trying to figure that out, even in ambiguity, uh, then, then you just begin seeking the kingdom first, trusting that with that, Jesus will give you everything. Everything you need. 
And so that's, I think, how we do it. And then Paul's instructions in Philippians, other places, of course. But that's, that's really the core, isn't it? Right, church? So I leave you with that this morning to consider, ponder, follow. And we're just going to sing a song in response to the Lord in regard to that. Let's stand and sing.